Hey everyone, Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by CardKingdom.com. Are you looking for a modern, legacy, commander, or standard staple? Card Kingdom has it in stock. Pre-order Ixalan now and get your singles when the new set drops. Support the podcast and use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. They invite you to join their in-store stream at twitch.tv slash Paragon City Games for weekly legacy and modern events. And Sam, I wanted to ask you a quick sound check question. What are some of your favorite things to cheers to? Because you always say cheers at the end of your videos. Ah, uh, yeah, I say cheers because uh, a few years ago, I think it's been like four or five years since I heard that for the first time. There was one of my British friends would would say that just like offhand uh, in a bunch of different you know random sort of situations, and I always just gravitated toward it toward it because it's such a cool catchphrase. Like, hey, cheers! Like, good to meet you. Cheers or whatever. So. So cheers has become sort of a uh, sort of like a mantra, you know. It's just a positive sort of uh, reaction uh, and uh, and thing I like to say. So I suppose my <laughs> the answer to that would be like uh, I like cheers into life, man. Every single day I try to cheers to life. So we'll we'll just stick with that. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. I'm talking with the Magic community's best visual storyteller, the Magic Man Sam. Sam's stunning videos highlight the art of prominent artists such as John Avon, Nils Hom, Therese Nielsen, and many more. Sam's videos also give perspective on Magic History's most influential cards such as Lightning Bolt, Snapcaster Mage, Thoughtseize, One With Nothing, and Thragtusk. Sam meticulously crafts his videos to tell a story that we've never heard before. I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with the one and only, the Magic Man Sam. Also, stick around to the end to learn how you can get a special Patreon supporter's gift from my ombre with the same nombre. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the Magic Man Sam. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with the wonderful, the magic man, Sam. Sam, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, man. I'm, I'm super stoked to be here. I, I recently found your your podcast probably a month and a half ago, and I binged on all of your episodes, and uh, <laughs> you're, you're really delivering something that I've wanted for so long in, uh, in, in the magic community. So, I appreciate being here. Very honored to be part of the, the roster. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, likewise, your videos are amazing and uh, we will talk all about it. Sam, for the listening audience that, uh, if you don't know, is uh, Ristic Studies on Twitter and also The Magic Man Sam on YouTube. And Sam makes these amazing videos about all sorts of topics, card art, mechanics, um, artists, cards specifically. And recently, uh, we were loving your video on Lightning Bolt. Uh, and it was just like so amazing. Like you dive so deeply into so many different aspects of the card and the story. And also you put a great point of view on it and it's full of detail and rich history. So I love it. So many other people do as well. And every single month, it's just such a treat to be able to watch. Thank you. Those are really kind words. I really appreciate that, Sam. And Sam, could you just tell us where did you grow up and how did you find magic? Uh, yeah, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, uh, and I moved away from El Paso when I was 14 uh, to Colorado for high school and undergrad at, uh, at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And uh, while I was living in El Paso, I would visit my, my, my family out in Washington, D.C. Uh, every summer. So, I spent all my summers in my childhood out in D.C., out in Virginia, and my cousin Kyle lived in Virginia, and he was the one who sort of put gaming and uh, and basically everything that I definitely enjoy now on on my radar. So, very early on, we used to play EverQuest together. And that was my first sort of step into the fantasy gaming world. It was EverQuest and he did a bunch of Warhammer. And he also played Magic. But, uh, but I was a young kid and every summer after the summer was done, I would go back to El Paso and not have anyone to play cards with. So, I mostly just observed him uh, 
engage with magic. And it wasn't until my senior year of college that I rediscovered the game. And actually, funnily enough, back in, well, the summer, I uh, I went out to Vegas and Kyle was there because he was playing the main event. So magic has kind of become another thing that we both enjoy, but I'm now fully caught up on. Whereas when I was a kid, I didn't know what was going on. I just liked, uh, I just liked the art, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you remember some of your first boosters? Um, yeah, actually... During that time, he was playing in the Odyssey, like Torment Judgment uh, era. And um, my very first experience with a magic card was Mirari. So I have weird connections to that. Again, not knowing at all what the card did, but just being fascinated by the art because it was on the front of all those booster packs. And <laughs> I actually asked my aunt for Christmas for some magic cards and she sent me actual magic cards, you know, like trick magic. <laughs> you know, I'm sure we've all been there in, in, what, in one time or another. Um, but what I really wanted was booster packs. Uh, so, I, so, I went and bought booster packs as a kid of Odyssey, but I, I couldn't tell you what I opened. So, um, my first real booster pack as a, as a magic player was, uh, was M13. Awesome. Yeah, that's so cool that you started in Odyssey. I stopped right before Odyssey. I remember there were just like promos of Odyssey with like the Mirari and I was just like, I have no idea what this is, but off to high school and college, I'm yeah. not playing Magic anymore. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Uh, that's funny. Um, actually, as of today, Mario just posted on the websites that uh, a card that he designed originally for Odyssey as Mirari, a seven mana enchantment that just lets you copy spells was was finally released in Hour of Devastation. So, uh, it's weird to see that kind of come full circle too because, uh, yeah, it's it's like a six and a blue enchantment that allows you to copy spells and that was originally supposed to be Mirari. So, that's weird timing wow. there, but yeah. <laughs> that is so incredible. Yeah, I mean, Mark Rosewater has been, you know, talking about how long of the, in, within the history of Magic he's had to keep certain mechanics or he's had to keep certain concepts of the game. A while back when I interviewed him, uh, he said that energy originally was supposed to be from the original Mirrodin block, but it was just so complicated that they had to shelf it. And now energy is in like the, the Kaladesh block. So yeah, that's, like, so, that's so wild, man. His memory is probably just full of things that he's done 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and is when working like two years ahead you know, at the pace that magic has developed. So, it's wild, man. His his brain must be on another planet, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And his energy levels, I mean, no pun intended, are like off the charts, <laughs> right? So, he's just like the perfect ambassador to the game. He is a great mascot for R&D, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is so cool. And um, also, you are a PhD student of Italian studies. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah. I, in undergrad, I just fell in love with Italian. I took uh, Spanish growing up in El Paso. Like Everybody there speaks Spanish, so it's just you need to be bilingual. And um, when I went to undergrad, I had already studied Spanish for a while and I kind of wanted to dip my toes into other Romance languages and Italian it was. And the Italian studies department at CU Boulder was just incredible, super, super amazing people. And um, I got super into it. So, that was one of my major there. And um, after I graduated, it just felt like this void was missing. Uh, I definitely wanted to keep up with my Italian. So, um, I took a couple years off and then applied to graduate school. And um, yeah, now I'm, I'm on a PhD track. I just finished my second year of six. I can't believe it's already been two years actually. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of my like full-time job outside of the channel. And it's definitely a passion. Uh, I actually start teaching Italian to freshmen and sophomores coming in, in August. So, that's going to be wow. super exciting. Yeah. And um, eventually that obviously means I get to teach at the university level um, as a professor, hopefully. So, so that's the end goal with that. But um, but yeah, Italian is uh, is another passion of mine. So That is amazing. What's your favorite Italian magic card? Oh, um, there's actually one of my one of my buddies in my playgroup bought me a Mizix uh, in Italian. So I only have a few a uh, few cards in Italian. Uh, I have Mizix from from my buddy Ian, and I also have a um, a full set of the uh, Niels Ham planes from M14, as well as the full a full set of uh, swamps from M13. And uh, those are like the only Italian cards I currently own. But I do appreciate the swamps specifically because uh, an Italian swamp is palude. And um, and that's a recurring theme in Dante's Inferno. And I just taught a class last semester on Dante. So so that sort of that card ties me back to to Dante and to poetry and to to Italian. So that's super cool. Wow! Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Sam, your first videos are just as good as your most recent videos. You use a variety of techniques like stop motion, use different camera angles, you've got a fantastic script, and also you've got your quintessential chill music in the background to tell the story. When you first started off, what were some of your ideas of what you wanted your channel to be? 
Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's something that I think every content creator sort of goes through. You you just start you just start making videos because you want to participate. You really love YouTube, or you're watching videos and you you feel inspired to make content of your own. And then you sort of have like this identity crisis of like, oh man, but what am I actually bringing to the table? <laughs> uh, so at the very beginning, I just knew I just wanted to participate in YouTube and I just wanted to put myself out there and have a creative outlet for the game. Uh, that's super important for me with my hobbies is like, I want my hobbies to also be, you know, uh, malleable and I want to be able to make things from them. So, uh, so the videos at the beginning were just fun, you know. I wanted to make high quality content, uh, whimsical, goofy stuff. And, um, and then I went through my identity crisis. And, uh, luckily I've come out on the other side with more specific goals and whatnot. But, but at the beginning, man, it was just about turning on the camera and, uh, making something fun out of the hobby. Yeah, they're really great. The first time I saw some of your earlier videos, I was like, wow, this guy's got to be like a filmmaker because like you're so creative and then you've got these wonderful transitions that, you know, we just, they're like action shots. I just don't see them really in other uh, YouTubers for that do magic. I was just like, oh my gosh, the transitions from, from your sketch into the art and then art into like swiping away to something else. Like it was a lot of fun. It really kept my attention. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that a lot. I don't know. I, it, I actually think about this a lot. Like film, filmmaking and video making sort of came because of magic. Like I wasn't making videos before I started playing magic. So I accidentally became a video editor because of magic, you know? And because of that, now that I actually have to like rely on good ed- editing skills, I pay way more attention to the craft itself and, and look up tutorials all the time and, uh, you know, draw from a bunch of different influences and people that I, that I admire that who are making videos as well. But at the beginning, like, I was learning magic at the same time I was learning how to make videos. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. Appreciate that. The early stuff could even be, you know, sort of quality. <laughs> yeah, I know. This early stuff is really good. And Sam, how did you come up with the name, The Magic Man Sam? Uh, the Magic Man Sam came from actually before I even really cared about magic at all. Uh, I had a channel called The Guitar Man Sam, which is where I would put a bunch of my, uh, my guitar videos that I was playing, um, you know, just starting in 2007, the Guitar Man Sam was a channel. So, again, I was just playing a bunch of guitar and I wanted to put my videos on the internet. So, uh, the Guitar Man Sam kind of became the moniker. And uh, when I started the Magic Channel, I thought that was the only way I could do it. Like, I have to be the Magic Man Sam. That, I mean, that just, it just has to be, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like an homage to your other channel. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so, Sam, what is the process that you have when coming up with videos? Um, the process is is really uh, sort of circular. Uh, <laughs> it starts out with the sliver of an idea. At this point, it could be like, ooh, I want to do an artist study on this artist or, ooh, I want to do a card study on a certain card. And from that, it's just um, it's just developing a ton of ideas that usually takes about a week of uh, of research um, and you know just idea gathering and putting it all in the uh, in the subconscious and waking up the next morning and, and coming back to the topic. So um, I know that sounds really abstract, but <laughs> it really does just start with the sliver of an idea. You know, like oh, it would be cool to do a video on lightning bolt. I wonder what the history of lightning bolt is, and then you do some reading, and you're like, oh man, this this goes super deep, like. Let me put down a, a ton of notes and then um, come back to it in a few days and try to write a really cool narrative at, about it. And then, uh, and then you record your 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 script. You record the audio, and the audio just dictates everything that the video will become. So, so it goes: idea, script, audio video and then export. (laughs) Ah, okay, okay. I see that now. You care very much about the details. Whenever I watch any of your videos, I notice just nothing but details. I mean, we're talking about details to your script, how you refer to certain things, and also how you direct your audiences to take note of details that you've noticed, either in the art or in the flavor text, or how the flavor text, uh, you know, connects with lore or how uh, little things inside the art also connect with lore. You also do this thing where you bring these card statistics uh, in your videos. If you're talking about a card type or you're like, oh yeah, in this set, there's this many of this card type or if there's these many cards with the word lightning in them and and you often bring that out. I find that to be really fascinating because you're taking viewers on a journey on a different dimension, not just looking at the topic that you're talking about, not just looking at it from history or strategy or art or lore or gameplay mechanics or uh, kind of like the community standard of what that card should be. You have like your own editorial spin on it that's uh, that's very unique to you and that I find is very hard to put my finger on. How did you develop that? 
You know, I think the majority of Magic players are just naturally detail-oriented. You know, we kind of have to be to always, like, engage with the board states, like, keep up with a ton, a ton of tiny little things that are going on within any sort of a game. So, I found that to be, like, sort of universal quality for uh, for Magic players. But as far as my videos go, it's good to be meticulous, you know? I really enjoy taking my time and um, and trying to find every little angle that I could talk about to certain uh, subjects, like you said, about for um, 15 to 16 to 17 minutes for a video, you know? So, um, so it's good to be meticulous. I, I found that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of meticulous about everything in my life. So, there's no, <laughs> it's no surprise that I'm also being very uh, detail-oriented when I'm making videos and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't know if that's a unique quality to me in terms of magic because I think everyone sort of has that. It's really hard to be, it's really hard to just have an umbrella perspective if you're trying to be good at magic. So I take that same skill set and just apply it in a different way to the game. Yeah, absolutely. I remember one of the first times I saw one of your videos. Um, this was like maybe about a year or so ago. And then I just kept, I was just hooked on the first one. I kept watching your videos. And every single time I'd watch your video, I mean, for example, you had one on Thrag Tusk. And I just was like, this guy could Photoshop. <laughs> I was just, I was just like, thank you for isolating that beast. And then, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. isolating the different elements, bringing things out. At one time, you were even tweeting that you were meticulously making your own card art borders just to be able to illustrate certain aspects of the card because you were like not satisfied with the resolution of the card art that you were getting online. Yeah, that's true. And up until uh, Scryfall, uh, which has been a huge boon for me in terms of like make sh making sure that the quality of the card images and whatnot stays really high in my videos, uh, I did have to go through a certain uh, <laughs> learning curve of how to make proxies through a Photoshop program. So, um, so yeah, paying attention to that level of detail is also very, very important. Uh, you know, the mantra is like, if you're working in video, you got to make sure that the video looks good. Like fundamentally, that seems like step one. It's similar to you guys when you do podcasts. Like if you're going to, if you're going to have a podcast, I think that my very first priority would be making sure that the, the sound quality was good because it doesn't make sense. Like why are you working in the medium if you don't cherish the potential of that medium? It's like playing guitar for 10 years and just, you know, like having a hundred dollar guitar after 10 years. <laughs> no, you really want to have a uh, a really expensive, good piece of equipment. So, um, so that so that went for my videos. I came to this juncture. I'm like, man, I need to devote myself to making sure that this is the best it could be. So that 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 goes across the board. Like the sound quality has to be good. The video has to be good. The images on the screen have to be good. Like the transitions have to be good. Everything you see and hear has to be like top notch, you know, just because that's the medium I'm working in. So, yeah. And, you know, listeners, I really want to emphasize just where I'm not talking just about any old video that you can get. I mean, there's some videos that are great, compelling, fun, viral, whatever. Right. But, you know, when I talk about, you know, the Magic Man Sam's videos, I'm talking about another layer of depth that Sam is being able to pull out from two-dimensional card art and also like pixels on a screen. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Sam, the way that you isolate foreground and background in terms of when you're talking about card art. We're talking about, um, you know, you, you often talk about in different artists, like the use of light, the use of scale, what is your vanishing point? And then like uh, the, the use of a color palette and also what is the intended purpose of uh, a, a subject being lighted a certain way, right? And you isolate those for us one by one using Photoshop and you really break it down so we can visually see each piece and we can see the impact of each piece. Um, you know, I've been a production designer you know, for graphic design and stuff like that for like 10 years. And so it's ironic that I'm doing a podcast now. <laughs> sure, but, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so when I look at those things, I'm just like, uh, yeah, that's that's like a dozen or so layers just right there. I know exactly what all of those things entail. And then being a, a novice in like, you know, After Effects and also like Premiere, like I understand that you have to like mask a lot of things and you need to have things wipe away and you have to have things come and go. Um, and, and just that alone, just to talk about whatever your, you know, point is in that moment of the video is already a lot of work. But then you're doing this for the entire video. You're doing this across multiple pieces of art. You're doing this with your subject in the foreground, the background, you do this with like, and then you've got like 35 plus videos. I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous, tremendous like labor of love. Yeah, it is quite an undertaking. And um, I do think that I think it's sort of this is the catch 22 of everything you just said, basically, like, the more that I work 
on it, the less you should notice. But if you do have a history in video editing or photo editing, then you do understand the amount of work that it takes just to make it seamless. You know what I mean? Like anybody can stitch two pieces of fabric together. The best stitchers in the world will make sure that that fabric looks like it was all from one piece or one piece of wood or whatever it may be. So the same idea applies. Like my job is to make sure you don't notice all the like tampering it took to generate that image unless you do it yourself, which which you do and you and you can notice that uh, it does take take quite a quite a bit of time. So um so it's cool. Like I, I I appreciate that you appreciate how much effort it takes, right? But um but again the end goal is the audience. Like how do they absorb the content? How do they absorb the images? And being as simple as possible when you're narrating or trying to drive home a point, I think is just fundamental for teaching anybody anything. So, you know, I think I got that from my best teachers is like they made it very, very clear and they made it very simple. So, uh, I try to use that philosophy in, in the videos and like if I'm talking about something, like reduce all the extra noise and make sure we're just, you know, zoning in on that one particular idea and trying to make it at least, you know, appealing to look at. Yeah. And you know what? You've got this great modern aesthetic that really matches the year 2017. You're using modern colors, modern design um, gradients that really like emphasize a particular like level of design. And then you just, you know, you even go so far as to be making these beautiful backgrounds. I mean, <laughs> they're backgrounds. They don't really, they, we're not even talking about them. They don't do anything, but they're there because you know that they're supposed to really, you know, set the stage and you really do create that stage stage. And, um, you know, just even in this conversation, I really think about your your background and your study of Italian studies, you know, like, there's a lot of really famous Italian art and a lot of really famous Italian filmmaking. And I think you do draw a lot from that creativity to deliver this finished product that is just so impactful on on so many different dimensions, not just visually, but, you know, also from a storytelling standpoint, and also like a historical significance standpoint. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's that old saying that like a good artist borrows and a, and a, and a great artist steals or whatever. So, uh, I, I do take a lot of influence from other, you know, video essayists, if we're just going to use the modern 2017 term, uh, out there who are doing amazing, amazing work outside of magic and just on, you know, on YouTube at large. So, um, I am always on the, on the lookout for, um, for new ideas and, uh, yeah, speaking about the backgrounds, like that's just another aspect that I that I try to take a lot of time in. You know, it's um it's important. Like it's 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 on the screen. It's an item. It's an item on the screen. So if it's an item on the screen, I have to care about it and I have to nurture it and I, it has to be there for a reason too. Um, you know, nothing can be accidental. Like I'm showing you things for a reason, so every piece matters, I guess. And also, I mentioned this earlier, but I also want to touch on this a little bit more, Sam. Your script writing is also phenomenal. You really go through the detail of doing your research about a topic and you do create this essay. You know, you were talking about this like video essay, right? And like this motion essay, but it's still an essay. You still have to have a point of view. You still have to have a hypothesis. You still have to have your, um, you know, your evidence to be able to convince the listener and the viewer that, you know, what you're saying is relevant. And you're also bring a lot of, um, you know, key points from history and also from, and you quote a lot of things as well. Um, that That's also so interesting for me. Is this like, also your script isn't boring. You know, I'm, I always learn so much when I watch your videos. I, I'm not just learning, like, again, you know, let's say we talk about the, the Thoughtseize video or the Thragtus video or the, or the video on uh, John Avon. I already think I know a lot of things about those topics, but I'm always learning something more. I'm either learning about history or I'm learning about the process for that particular subject itself. And I'm also learning kind of statistically how it relates to the magic universe about, you know, how it relates to other things. It's just, it's fascinating. And and, and it's all done in a really uh, digestible, a really lighthearted way. Like it's not dense, you know, like you're not technical about it. It's just really easy for myself to to hear what you're saying and and then also in a real in a way that's really whimsical and delightful too like i'm always being surprised in really key moments of your videos thank you yeah um i think that is just like the hallmark of good uh essay writing uh like you said you just have to have a point and all of your sources and all of your evidence has to lead back to that point the more engaging and entertaining that writing can be then the better uh the product is, you know, there's like a handful of really good essays that I just love reading for the same reasons. And then there's a handful of essays that are just, you know, dense and boring and 
feel like they're not driving any sort of point home or they're very condescending and uh, I'm super turned off by that writing. So, I, you know, so I keep that in mind when I'm writing my script is like, how do I make this fun? How do I make this engaging? Like, how do I, how do I bring in other things outside of magic to enrich magic as a whole? Because I think that, uh, you know, all the art forms are connected. I mean, I, I, I truly see magic as just a giant art project for, first and foremost. I think it's a collective effort to make something that is very organic and sort of, um, interactive and because of that it sort of has elements of like an organism you know i think that uh i think that it is evidence just visually that is a, it's a huge art project uh i think creatively it, everything everything that goes into magic even mechanics even rules even uh you know play testing and um what eventually comes out as the product is just like a giant piece of art you know what i mean so Inevitably, all those things are interwoven somehow. So it's super fun to go down the rabbit hole and um, and get insight from R and D, get insights from I don't know, like a Transformers movie, and how do I bring in uh, you know the latest song that I've been listening to and and make it relevant and connected to magic. I think that is kind of like a skill of academics and people that see the world and want to engage in it and analyze it. And um, I do that all the time in my normal job, you know. So like, why can't I do it in magic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, Sam. I I wanted to ask you, are you familiar with the Italian term sprezzatura? Sprezzatura, yeah. Um, sprezzatura. Yes, can you, and you, can you tell our listeners what it means to you? Actually, I have to turn this question back on you. Like, what, what made you think of this? Like, Yeah, so I learned about the word sprezzatura from, I think it was like GQ or Esquire. I think it was Esquire's Big Black Style Guide for Men or book or Big Black Book of Style for Men or some, some, some whatever thing. And uh, in there, there was a concept of just having that, um, and it feels strange to use a French term, that je ne sais quoi. That's kind of like the only thing I can think of it. <laughs> sure, um, sure. It's... <laughs> it's it's kind of like you can't put your finger on it, but there's a particular aesthetic or style or swagger or the way it's being curated or the way it's being composed or the way it's being carried in a way that just has that certain sense of interesting. And so an example of sprezzatura would be the juxtaposition of... Um, purpose. So if you were wearing a suit and you were looking quite dapper in your suit, perhaps you would wear a digital watch. And we're not like talking about like uh, a diving, you know, Iron Man watch, but something still kind of toned down, but digital and people would see that juxtaposition and go, oh, that's so interesting. And that also shows up in the uh, juxtaposition of certain fabrics being used. But if you extend it, not just from like Italian fashion and lifestyle, and you extend it into art, Sprezzatura also is that concept of just like just like I said je ne sais quoi it's just like there's something special about this that gets you to think a little bit more and you sometimes can't put your finger on it and that has been one of the central themes of how I really view your videos whenever I watch them I'm always so pleasantly surprised and at the end you're just like wow that was awesome like of course there's many reasons to to, to see clearly why it's awesome but then it lingers right like there's that there's that aftertaste and there's that memory it's kind of like saying how special vanilla is as a flavor like it's not boring it's it's actually quite complex and sophisticated when used in a certain way so that's the reason why I, I thought it was very interesting that I wanted to talk to you about how you think of um, you know your art because I really think of the content that you create as having that sprezzatura in it that was that was cool. See, Sam, you could teach me things too. You know, it's been a minute since I've <laughs> since I've heard that word thrown around, but um, but that's brilliant. Yeah, that's really cool. I also looked it up really quick, and it talks about like a certain carelessness about it or effortlessness. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, you know, I think that same that same idea you're hearkening back to. Like, there's just something about it that's that that is why I've been super engaged and entranced by magic just from the beginning because it does have that same exact I don't know ethereal elements about it. Like there's always something about this game that does feel like a weird juxtaposition of nerd culture and brilliance and art and and everything about magic, like all those little details come together in this weird uh, com complexity, I suppose. And hearkening directly back into magic, there's certain, actually there's certain players that I enjoy watching just because of that exact same feeling. Like 
the way they play the cards, the the decisions they make, the sort of uh, the basic lands that they show up with, the interviews that they have. Like there are certain magic players that I admire just because of their carelessness or effortlessness. Like they could just see the system of the game perfectly when they play or um, or they handle a control deck super well. Like Shota Yasaoka, I will watch him play anything. Like I will watch Shota play every single time he's on camera and it's just such a treat because it feels like it feels like the dude is 10 steps ahead of everything all the time, you know? So, he has that sort of uh, effortless uh, air about him and uh, I really like that. That's a charming idea. I have to sit on that for a little while because that's that's <laughs> that's perfect, man. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, you're right, Sam, because the best players and also our, everyone, we all have our favorite players, right? And whenever we watch them, we're just like, wow, they always have it. They always have the top deck or they always, <laughs> you know, they always yeah. have just the right amount of mana. They're attacking for just perfect or whatever is in their hand is just the right answer. And yeah, like you were saying, that carelessness and just like that ease, right? It's yeah. just, it's like, wow. And so, um, yeah, it's very fascinating how, you know, how complex of a, and how specific of a game this is, but it brings up so much, uh, you know, the, all so many mysteries of the universe. Like, you know, like, yeah. how, how did that player play that? You know, like, that doesn't make <laughs> sure. any sense, right? Sure. So, uh, yes, that's just so interesting. And Sam, I also wanted to ask you about what advice would you have for content creators that are just starting off or people that are kind of on the fence and need a little bit of that nudge into becoming a content creator? Um, you know, I think this is uh, this might be sort of abstract. Uh, I've been meaning to write about it, but uh, and I and I don't want to come off as being very harsh, but fundamentally at this point, um, I think magic content has been around for so long and has touched on only a few subjects that I think like there's still a huge, huge, huge amount of different sort of uh, styles and uh, approaches you can have to magic content. So, with that being said, I think the best thing that you could do is draw influences from things outside of magic to make your content. Uh, I learned this from a musician I really appreciate. Uh, they, they, they'll go in and create an album, like, like a progressive rock album. And for the entirety of them recording and writing music, they will never listen to any progressive rock. They'll only listen to like classical music or they'll only listen to, I don't know, like hip hop from the 90s or whatever. So, so then when they go into writing a record, they don't have like the bleed through of everybody in their genre. So, I really like that idea when approaching magic content. Like the best thing you could do if you want to start making magic content is make magic content that doesn't look like anything that is currently on the web. And the only way to do that, I think, is to look at other realms. Like go look at Street Fighter content or go watch a football game or go like read a book and use that in a weird way to to make something really unique and creative because, you know, this is the harsh part. Like, I don't think that anybody in the magic community right now is really wanting another pack opening channel, you know? Like, that's just been around forever. <laughs> like, that idea is the dead horse. Like, unless you can make a pack opening channel that is like something we've never seen before. And the same goes for like, you know, deck text or strategy talk or whatever. Like, my biggest piece of advice would be to go listen to a bunch of World of Warcraft podcasts or like crime podcast, and then make a magic podcast. You know what I mean? And again, yeah. that's sort of abstract, but but that's what I really, really want. Because I think everyone is primed and ready for something new and completely like unseen to sort of break into the content world in MTG. Because I think it's a little insular right now. So, I would encourage mm -hmm. you to just, you know, look at other things. That's that's the, you know, that's the TLDR of that. <laughs> yeah, that's too funny. Yeah, are, are you sure we don't need like a super blurry pack opening of something I picked up at Walmart? Are you sure? Because I have an itching for opening packs oh, from Walmart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's great advice, Sam. I appreciate that. Um, and also, I wanted to ask you, Sam, what advice do you have for new Magic players that are just starting off to enjoy the game? I think uh, I think the most important thing when you start playing Magic is to um, is to really be an observer. Like for me, I started playing Magic and I became obsessed with the Pro Tour and watching like really strong players play and just watching my friends play at FNM or watching my friends play EDH. I think it's really important to just like observe. Not to be a better player, but just to sit back, be quiet, and um, and watch the game as a whole. Like, read a bunch of contents, listen to podcasts. Like, you can get into it in a bunch of different avenues. Whatever whatever calls you to the game. Like, if it's if it's the art, or if it's the friends at your local game store, or if it's friends you've known forever that have always played the game, and now you're just in. You know, you're introduced to it, and you're you're getting into it. Like, 
whatever calls you to the game, just make sure that uh, make sure that you you observe it and you observe it being played or cherish that thing that calls you. So, um, and that could be through content or that could be just engaging with the game. Don't go don't go out and buy like six hundred dollar standard deck that you know is going to be uh, you know not a deck in in three months. Um, just be very patient, like, like observe, I guess that's, that's it, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love that so much. It's just to kind of, um, be patient and just kind of like do the things that you love to do yeah. and just kind of like, just marinate in this rich universe that is Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Just get into it, man. That's a good life mantra. Get into it. You know, that's really cool. Okay. And we'll have more from Sam coming up, but first we're going to take a quick break from our sponsors. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for chase rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com KTM. Okay, and Sam, I was just wondering, do you have any ideas for a card that we could give to Patreon supporters? Yes, uh, the the card that sort of pushed me full-fledged into magic is Young Pyromancer. Uh, after I learned the game, uh, my buddy Kirk built me a blue-red deck, and he included Young Pyromancer in it. And since then, I've been an it mage at heart, and I love casting instants and sorceries and building control decks, so I think that would be my choice, if possible. A 2-1 you know, human wizard that allows you to make one-one tokens just for value uh, has always has always sort of like been the beacon of of my magic experience. So I love it. Okay, well, you heard that, listeners. I'm gonna try to get a whole bunch of copies of Young Pyromancer for Sam, the Magic Man, Sam to sign, and we'll be giving those to our Patreon supporters at the six dollar level and higher. Okay, I'm back with our guest, the magic man, Sam. And Sam, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be, Sam. Hit me. All right. Rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? Like I just said, I'm an is it player, so I fundamentally have to be a blue mage, I think. Uh, the reason just being is uh, it feels very, very strange to play your cards and not have any way to interact with them once they're on the table. Like, I, I'll never play like a green-white creatures deck. I just don't know how to do that. I can't be that vulnerable. I can't just put my creatures out there and not have any say when somebody tries to destroy them or bounce them or whatever. Uh, I think it's I think it's fun to uh, get into the mind games of magic and... Um, Control mirrors are, are my absolute favorite thing to watch uh, because of that. It's just like this nice, gentle ballet, a sort of chess match between between minds. And I think blue provides that avenue the best. So I'm going to go with blue. We'll go with blue. How's that? <laughs> 
Okay, that's awesome. And you would pair that with red, it seems. Yes, blue, red, black. I, uh, it took a while for Ooh. me to dive yeah, deep into the Grixis, uh, the heart of Grixis, but uh, but now I am there. Grixis is love. Grixis is life. <laughs> that's so funny because like <laughs> Grixis sometimes would even be like the opposite of life. Oh, it is. It, it is. <laughs> From it like is. a lore standpoint. <laughs> but once you embrace that, man, but once you embrace that, uh, then it does become, it takes on a new, it's like postmodern life. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, rapid fire question number two. Sam, if you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? I thought about this for a while because I'm, you know, I'm very satisfied with the game all around, uh, minor gripes aside and whatnot. I, I really just appreciate Magic where it is. And I think it's, uh, it's a very strong game where it is right now. But, um, I think I would actually, I know, I know a lot of players have griped about this, but I would cut back on sets. I think, I think it would be really, really prime to just have two, two sets a year, uh, in terms of like the normal release schedule, like supplemental products, sure. But having two sets a year, I think would generate a lot more excitement and anticipation and, uh, allow you to gestate a little bit more and, and, and digest the, um, the breadth of, of how much work goes into a magic set. There's just so often, like, I didn't even know Hour of Devastation was re- being released. You know what I mean? Like, for me, I really enjoy waiting two or three years for my favorite artist to produce music. So, um, if that could happen with magic, I think I would, I think I would engage a little bit more in the normal sort of set release and um, pre-release and uh, and all the events that go go along with that. I say that as a, as a lover of the pro tour, so I don't want that to come and you know bite me in the foot because I because I absolutely love watching the pro tour every few months. But if I if I had my way, I think I would have maybe two sets a year. Huh, interesting. And and how would that affect standard? You think? I don't know. I I, I thought about that too. And like, what if one of the sets was like five hundred cards, just a massive ah. like giants set, you know, that you would have to take forever to, uh, to really go through and, uh, and absorb and collect if you're a collector. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of a weird, whimsical sort of rabbit hole I might go down one day uh, and really contemplates the, uh, the effects of having just two sets a year, but, uh, and one being gigantic, you know, but, um, hmm. but I think that might be fun. I don't know. Very interesting. That's the first time a guest has said something like that. That's really, really fascinating to ponder because, you know, we always talk about, you know, set mechanics. We're always thinking about how quickly this puzzle can be solved. And that does put a new spin on it. That's really fascinating. Thank you for that, Sam. That's fascinating. Okay. Rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every magic player, what would it be? Hmm. This is also probably the hardest question on the rapid fire list. Um, hmm. It's hard. Jeez, what would I give them? <laughs> <laughs> I would give them my real answer, and we could cut this part out, but like my real answer is like I would give them a friend. You know, like I'd give them a magic <laughs> friend if I could. Magic bot. <laughs> a magic bot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. I would give them a magic bot. We'll call it that. Just a just a bot that will play magic with you when you can't meet up with your friends, you know? <laughs> um, no, really, I would give them uh I would give ah, I don't know, man. I don't know. That's super hard. <laughs> We'll just go with Magic Bot. How's that, Sam? <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to go with Magic Bot. And <laughs> and we're going with Magic Bot because you would like uh, everyone who plays Magic to always have a friend to play Magic with. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I totally agree with you. Like, as a kid back in the day, you know, just like having even just that one dedicated friend to play Magic with all the time, I mean, just to throw down in that way just makes the game so enriching. If you have, like, no one to play Magic with, it's just like, mm, it's not as fun. And that's why community is so important. But yeah, that's really fascinating. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, Sam, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? In an ideal world, uh, I think Magic, uh, in order to to grow and keep expanding and keep doing its own thing, I think uh, the health of the game would benefit very much from it trying to be something else. I see this quite a bit in esports and stuff. Once esports embraced like esports as a whole and not trying to mimic what other sports do, it actually had, you know, the path was unveiled to them and how they could succeed and be a huge phenomenon. To me, I don't think magic is an esports by any means. So, I don't think that mimicking like the formula for what makes esports great is going to work with the card game. 
in the same way that like baseball is not, you know, football or not MMA. Like what baseball right. is doing is not what MMA is doing and both sports are great because of that, you know, and they can be their own thing. And I think magic is very much in the same realm that baseball is in, in terms of the sports analogy. So, for the future of magic, I just want it to to stop trying to keep up with the pace that esports moves at and like the grand spectacle and instead actually just invent an entirely new way to advertise the game or to, to display the pro tour or whatever it may be. I think that once Wizards figures out the formula to do that correctly, then magic will explode. I think it's been growing, obviously for a while but um but I but I just don't like the esports discussion. I think it's an entirely different thing. You know, it's it's the chess of esports. So how do we how do we market the chess of esports? Uh obviously that's a big puzzle to unpack, but uh that's what I see in the future of Magic. I think they'll get there. Yeah, yeah, I have had a lot of people, you know, say Magic is like baseball and you've got to be patient with it and it requires a different kind of excitement. You just can't think of it like a fighting game. You can't think of it like, you know, MMA or you can't think of it like League of Legends. You just can't think of it in that word like Overwatch or football or basketball. You just can't think of it in those other traditional ways. You've got to let Magic's own core tenants shine. Yeah, and that's and that's super important for the spectators as well, you know? It's really hard to appeal to spectators who are used to that sort of pacing and that high action and high energy and uh and everything that goes along with all the things you just said. So so I think the Pro Tour is brilliant for for doing that, you know, sort of catering to the pace of magic and making it exciting, but not in like a an explosive way. It has to be exciting in a very, very nuanced way, which is hard to sell to a spectator who's used to all the explosiveness. But but again, I think they're on the right track for appealing to that sensation. And last, Sam, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience, like where they can find you on social? Uh, yeah, on social. I'm at uh, Ristic Studies on Twitter and on YouTube, of course, The Magic Man Sam. Uh, my only request is that you watch one of my videos and hopefully you enjoy it. And if so, just uh, just let me know that you did. That's always That always goes a very long way. So, so yeah, just watch a video. And if you like it, then say hey. Yes, absolutely. And I will have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Listeners, I know that this is a podcast and this is not visual at all, but you have to watch Sam's videos. They're stunning. They're beautiful. They're thoughtful. They're artistic. And they really dive into not only the history of the game, but also things that are really meaningful in terms of the lore and the art and also like what it means for the community, like what some of these topics mean when you discuss cards, when you just discuss discuss artists and things like that. So I really love it. And uh, please support Sam on patreon.com slash the magic man, Sam. And there are some great rewards there. Sam, I just wanted to thank you. I just also wanted to acknowledge you as well. I have been a huge fan of your videos and also the contribution that you've made to the community by providing this kind of visual content is adding a whole new dimension to the way the magic community looks at the cards that have just been in front of us this whole time. You know what I mean? You mean you talked about the best worst card, one with nothing. You talked about Lightning Bolt recently. You've talked about the art of John Avon and Vincent Prost. And you've also been talking about the necessity for really format warping cards like Pithing Needle and like Thrag Tusk and things like that. Like they've all just been incredibly insightful. And so I really want to thank you because you're getting people to think and you're getting people to go back and look at these things that, you know, perhaps we've just glossed over. And also you're doing it in an incredibly elegant and beautiful way. And you're bringing that sense of spritzatura into our community. So I really want to thank you. And you've been very dedicated. You've been such a dedicated content producer and you've been making videos nonstop for three years and and that's and that's really something like a labor of love and we're very very grateful to have you in this community so thank you sam for that i appreciate that very much thank you those are those are really really high praise so if i get the last word then uh then of course it's going to be the last word that ends all my videos and the good life motto to follow which is cheers i hope you enjoyed my interview with the magic man sam He's on Twitter at Ristic Studies. For more information, visit Sam's website, RisticStudies.com, or go to YouTube.com and search for The Magic Man Sam. I'll have all the links in the show notes at KitchenTableMagic.org. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's show. I want to thank all of my Patreon supporters, Brian, James L., Marcus, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M., Neil, James G., Aaron C., Jonathan, 
Corey, Chad, James E, Joe, Logan, Scott, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, and Eternal Dirtles. All of my supporters at the $6 level or higher are getting sweet, cool swag from my guests. For this episode, you're going to be getting a signed copy of Young Pyromancer from The Magic Man Sam. And listeners, if you'd like to get special guests, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeping it running by helping to pay for audio equipment, software, and server costs. And now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. Okay, and if you like the Kitchen Table Magic podcast by Sam Tang, you're going to love the new YouTube channel Play MTG by Sam Tang. It's an upbeat, fast-paced new YouTube channel featuring deck techs from pros, learn-to-play tutorials, expert difficulty level-up advice, single-card discussion, MTG community news, and more. So if you want to see what I look like, go to YouTube.com and search for the Hascon Vlog by PlayMTG. And since I only have just one video, I'm kind of a YouTube noob, so it might be easier just to find me on Twitter or Facebook. I'm on Twitter at underscore PlayMTG or on Facebook.com slash PlayMTG, all one word. And of course, you can go to YouTube.com slash channel slash U-C-K-E-6-A-Q-2. Well, never mind, you get the idea. I'm going to have all the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you and creating some content in video. Be sure to follow Kitchen Table Magic on Twitter at KTM Podcast. Like the show on Facebook, Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the episodes and show notes are at kitchentablemagic.org. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and mtgcast.com. Remember, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic... So um, there's a significant amount of brewing decks starting in the morning. Pete Ingram talked about how uh, his day starts in the shower when he starts building a deck in his head. (laughs) So wake up in the morning, think about, you know, what would be uh, the most interesting thing to explore today? You know, what would be the most broken or, or, you know, how, how did these two archetypes interact or test the limits of this new card? All those types of considerations, uh, that's how he starts his day. Play design's most significant role is as a resource to others. As people create content, how can we help determine what the best paths forward are for that content to um, serve the needs of whatever that product is? Um, most relevantly, standard and major sets. But yeah, to, to circle back to what exactly the day is like, um, a lot of battling, a lot of discussion, and then a lot of planning to figure out what the next steps are. I'm talking to Dan Burdick, the lead of Play Design, a new division of R&D for Magic the Gathering. While Mark Rosewater is trying to break the game, Dan and his crazy team of wizards is making sure magic stays functional and playable. Just consider it the future, future, future league, or the new, new, new world order. Whatever it is, Dan has Melissa DeTora, Paul Cheon, Andrew Brown, Ian Duke, Brian Holly, Adam Prosak, and Andrew Veen to make sure the kitty combo thing doesn't happen again. Join me and the Obi-Wan Kenobi of Magic R&D, Dan Burdick, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.